Well, good morning. I'll ask you to turn with me to First John and chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'd like to just express my gratitude to the elders for the opportunity to uh, be in the pulpit this morning and this afternoon. First John chapter 1. Well, the ushers, I would like to use my hands. I'm kindly asking if this fan can go off. 1 John chapter 1. I'll begin reading from verse 5, but our focus uh, up to verse nine, 10, our focus is verse 5 and verse 6. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege for us to sit and to stand for me, and to listen to your word. We want to pray, our Father, that you might be pleased to speak to each one of us according to our needs. Pray for the explanation of your word, and for my brothers and sisters and friends as they listen to your word, that, oh God, you might cause it to come with the clarity that comes from you. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a day and time in which the question, are you a Christian, is almost losing its meaning if it hasn't lost the meaning already. And one of the reasons I believe it is so is because the answers we get to this question when we ask them are answers that do not focus on the Lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is clear from the Bible that uh, Jesus Christ being Lord is central to what Christianity is all about. But the answers that we'll get will have a lacking of that. And unfortunately, we seem to be content with a confession of a Christianity that knows no change, that knows no lives that are changed. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, when Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, he was standing particularly to give an explanation as to what the people who began to mock the disciples were listening to or what was happening on the day of Pentecost. And so he stands up and he preaches the sermon that we know in Acts chapter 2. And the conclusion of that sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he says this, and very important, 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, referring to Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And later on in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he would be faced with the Jews who heard him over and over again, but their lives were not changed. And he challenges them because Christianity is focused on his lordship. And he says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is, and then he goes on to explain. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? The implication of that was Jesus being Lord entails that those who call him Lord are servants, and those who call him Lord are people who have submitted their lives to his Lordship. The Lordship of Jesus Christ must be central to any Christian testimony. Many times you, you, you hear people give the testimony, how did you become a Christian? And they begin to explain how they became a Christian. And not only has their life not changed, but even what they say by way of testimony has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. In First John, the passage that we read, I would like us to look at the title that is beamed for you there, A Holy Life, the evidence that you are a Christian. Thinking of the big picture of First John, First John was written primarily to give assurance of salvation uh, to Christians in the midst of so much in the area of the day you would call Asia Minor. And why was it important, specifically in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the, the Son that you may know you have eternal life. Why was this assurance important? Well, two reasons. Number one, it was because of many people who had left the church. And if you remember that the, this letter here, this epistle, is, is written by the same John who wrote the gospel. You can almost imagine the questions going through the minds of the people. Well, John, if you have said that those who come to know you shall never perish, they are saved eternally, what has happened to those of our numbers who have disappeared? Is the explanation in the deficiency of the gospel is the explanation in the fact that there was maybe something lacking in what was brought to us. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, he gives the answer, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. In other words, the issue is not the gospel. The issue is to begin with, they were not. But the second reason, it's because of what the false teachers were saying. And you can infer this from the if statements that uh, John replies with. The first one is in verse 6, we saw it. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we are liars. 
What were the false teachers saying or suggesting, especially as they rejected the, the fact that Jesus came as a human being? They would teach and say, if you followed Jesus Christ in the land of Palestine, if you followed him behind, you never saw a shadow. He did not cast a shadow. You could not see his footprints because that which is flesh is sinful and he could not have attained that. So what were they saying? They were saying, well, you can actually be a Christian and you can live the way you want, basically. In chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's interesting that, uh, uh, that these false teachings of this day, to a point of people claiming to be without sin, are with us even today. I know a church which actually teaches that in this life, once you become a Christian, you can be perfect. And if you sin, it just shows that you are not a Christian. In chapter 1, verse 10, it says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. In chapter 2, verse 4, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. They were suggesting that you can actually have a personal relationship with the Lord. You can, you can know him. What you do with the body does not really matter, because what matters is that which is the spirit. Well, back to our text, brethren, John argues that salvation requires a personal encounter with, notice, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 1, verse 4, that's basically, verse 1 to 4, that's basically what he has said when he, when he gives this testimony. The testimony upon which you and I are true witnesses. The only reason we can say we are true witnesses, even though we didn't see Jesus Christ, is because of what John says here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. That life, verse 2, was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. He argues that salvation requires a personal encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ. But he also argues that this salvation must be evidenced by a life that is set apart from sin. If you have been to the cross of Calvary, verse 1 to verse 4, if this Jesus who we touched and saw, you, you also are in fellowship with him because you obeyed the word that we brought. The consequence of that or the outcome of that is that you must live a life that is set apart from sin. That's what he says in verse 6 to verse 10 there. Why do I say living a holy life is evidence that you are a Christian? Well, you will soon see from our passage here, but I need to make a clarification concerning the word holy. Because the word holy today is used in the way that is not the suggestion of the scriptures. Holiness, as, as we will see it here in the message that has come from these apostles and disciples, holiness which evidences that you are a Christian has something to do with living a life that is separated from sin. That's the holiness which is in, 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 in mind when I use it here. 
you, we don't have time, but if you read First, John, First Thessalonians and chapter 1, when Paul recounts the salvation of the church at Thessalonica, that's precisely the point. When he says, we don't even have anything to say because they themselves, the people who have watched your life, they testify the entrance we had among you. And then he says how you turned from idols and you turned to God and you turned to save the living God. Holiness is separation from that which is called sin. If I had time, I could take you to the Old Testament. I could show you why, for example, bread in the temple would be called holy bread. Or the garments of the priests would be called holy garments. It was not because they were sparkling or because they had some material that, 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 that commanded for that to be the case. It is the idea that there was this concept of separation. This is set apart for the use by God. I have two observations from our text. The first one we notice the message and the mandate. The message and the mandate in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from you, from him rather, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What's the message? Well, the message is that God is light. And this statement, if you read the, the letter, this epistle of John, is going to be the foundation or the theological foundation upon which he makes the argument over and over again through this epistle that Christianity looks a particular way. It's not just a verbal claim. Those who have gone to the cross of Calvary and have been saved by the Lord, they live their lives in a particular way. The argument upon which he will base all that, whether he's talking about you loving others, whether he's talking about you not continuing in, in the way you live, it is this theological foundation. God is light. What does it mean that God is light? About seven years or more, Pastor Mbewe were doing a series from First John, and when he spoke on this particular passage, answers that question this way, and I quote, that God is light, number one, as the truth, he has revealed himself with no obscurity, and so that you can know him as he is. Number two, as of the morality, he is morally pure without any defilement. Is this the God that you know? End of quote. God being light here, or God being holy, has the idea that he is morally pure, but also separated from anything that is called sin. And the context of our text here confirms that. First, you notice the contrast that John makes between light and darkness in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. God is light, and in him is no darkness. The two are opposites. Because God is light, in him there is no darkness. But also the truth about God himself supports this. Because in verse 6 he says, 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and here's our problem, we do not practice the truth. In other words, the, the truth about who God is in your life is still in the head. Or maybe in the heart. Because, I mean, if we were to compare among ourselves, some of us would be better. Because the truth is not just in the head, but it is in the heart. We are the kind of the people who have a testimony. Say, uh, I, I mean, I like Acts chapter 2 when, when Peter stood up to preach because I heard that phrase over and over again in Kito as a pastor during baptism interviews. How did you become a Christian? And in Bemba, it, I mean, it was just interesting. You know, I heard the word and it touched my heart. You remember that phrase from Peter? So for some, they are better off because it's here. But is, is that good enough? No. If it hasn't gone to your feet, you are not practicing the truth. That's the issue there. It means, when we say God is light, it means in God, there is no sin. He cannot, listen, he cannot have fellowship with sin. He cannot. And so what are the implications of this truth to us? Well, brethren, the first implication is that the credibility of the message that John has heard, that God is light, cannot be separated from the lives of those who claim to have embraced it. The credibility of this message, the fact that God is light, you cannot separate it from any among us, including myself, if our claim is that we have embraced this message at some point in our life. Now we need to clarify that we do not mean by any means that you can do anything to, to the fact that God is light. That your, 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 your broken life, your, your dead life, my dead life can do anything. To the, that's not what we mean. But what we mean is that those who claim to know God and embrace the truth that God is light, there is no way to separate the fact that God is holy from you as an individual. If you have embraced this message that God is light, then John says in verse 7, walk in the light. He says in verse 9, confess your sins. Learn the life of confession of sin. He says in chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, grow in separation from sin. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, love one another. He says in chapter 2, verse 7 to 11, that if you have embraced this, this message that God is light, then you must have a genuine hatred for the sinful ways of this world. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. If you claim to be a Christian this morning, then you need to listen to this by way of application. Listen to 1 John 2 verse 9. You can go there with me. If this morning you can claim that you are a Christian. Our Bible study this morning, I, I believe this is true in all the groups, ended on a note and our brother Manu, as he closed us in prayer, he said we, we've ended on a scary note, thinking of the judgment, the final judgment of God. 
And because of that, we challenged ourselves for soul searching to be sure, absolutely sure, that you are a Christian. So if you claim to be a Christian, listen to these three verses, two verses uh, as I read them. First John 2 verse 9 says, Whoever says is in the light, another way you can say that, whoever says I am a Christian and hates his brother is still in darkness. Listen to First John chapter 3 verse 4 to 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, the ESV helps us here in case you have KJV or another version, uh, you, you probably have whoever uh, sins or commits sin. The idea there is a practice of sinning. This is who you are. This is not you falling in sin. This is not you having a hatred for a brother and a sister, whether that goes for two months or three months, however long, and you go back and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, you go to your brother. You are not the one I want to be uncomfortable this morning. The one I want to be uncomfortable this morning is a person whose life is like this. You are the kind of a person who can boast about hatred. Ine valinjishiva. Until he comes and kneels, I will not forgive him. If you are that kind of a person, he's saying you are still in darkness. First John chapter 3, verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Brethren, the argument is simple. Why did Christ come to break our bondage with sin? And those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what has happened in their life. But if you find yourself continuing or going like that, then you are still in sin. So the message is that God is light. And that means God is morally pure, no sin in him. You cannot claim to know him, to have fellowship with him when you are walking in darkness. What about the mandate? What's the mandate? He gives it to us there when he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. They heard the message, they proclaimed it to us. What is our mandate? Same mandate. You hear this message, it has changed you, it has influenced your life, you proclaim it. The word proclaim here means to announce, report, or command. But the word interesting, if I had time I could have taken you to Psalm 19 verse 1, you can cross check. The word interestingly also means proclaiming by life. It's not just a proclamation by word but proclaiming by life. The heavens declare the glories of God. That way declare there in Psalm uh, 19 is the idea here. The point here, my brothers, is this. Yes, let's tell others about the fact that God is holy. You see sin, you don't smile at it. You graciously come and say, my brother, my sister, God is holy. But let's exemplify what that means. That's the point here. 
Let's live a life that is an example, a testimony that God is holy. Remember, the credibility of this message is anchored in the way you live your life, my brother and my sister. A challenge especially to those of us who are Christians, those of us who are sure you are a Christian. We must, we must care about the way we live. It does matter to God because we are proclaiming, we are proclaiming who God is and we better not proclaim the wrong message. So that was the message and the mandate. Second observation, the confession and the contradiction. The confession and the contradiction. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What's the confession here? Well, John says it. He says, if you and I, let's use uh, the clear terminology, say we are Christians, or we say we are, we, are, we are born again, we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what, that's what the confession there is. And that confession is not a difficult one in a country like ours uh, here in Zambia, because we are familiar that way back our nation was declared a Christian nation. And the problem with that declaration, whatever the meaning was, the intentions could have, been, could have been clear. The problem with that declaration is the fact that there are many people who are misled in thinking that because they are part of this great nation, Zambia, a nation where peace is amazing, a nation where we've never known, thank God, what our friends are going through in these other countries. They, they think just by that that they are Christians. And, and, and the way you prove that is you listen to their testimony of salvation. Let them tell you how they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will find soon enough that they actually have this notion that because they are in Zambia, they are a Christian. It is like, like saying, because a chicken lay its eggs in the garage and had its chicks in the garage, or then let's call those chicks cars. Or how easy it would be to be rich. Are you looking for a car? Or it's simple. If it is true that everyone who is born in a Christian home is a Christian, I just had a, a testimony recently. I've always been a Christian. I've always been one. And this is a driver of, uh, is it Wango or Yango? I keep mixing that taxi. Whatever it is, this is a driver lady taking me to Toyota Zambia, and then I ask, we begin to talk. I've always been a Christian. Oh, how? No, my, 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 I come from a Christian home. Well, that's what I meant. If you want to be rich, get your chicken, let it lay its eggs in the garage. Once those chicks are out, 
you just have earned yourself a number of cars. But what is Christianity? What is Christianity? Look at Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. You infer from here that there has to be something about a people who are Christians in the way they look, in the way they live their lives. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. The Bible says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on, the, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Notice that. A great number of them who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For the whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch. The disciples, these people who were adherents to the Lord, from the outside you can know they are his disciples, they are following him, they are, 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 are speaking of him, they are embracing him, were first called Christians at Antioch. I, I don't have to say much, but just to ask you, what do you think could have caused the onlookers to call these people Christians? Because they, are, they were from a Christian nation? Or is it because they had Bibles? I can suggest to you, in the context of the book of Acts, especially the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul that begin in chapter 13, that there was something about them. There was something about their life that made them just look like this Jesus. By the way, the word Christian there literally means little Christ. They looked as, like this man. And that's what Christianity, brethren, is all about. The confession that you are a Christian should not just be verbal. We go back to the passage I read for you from Luke chapter 6, and I would like to, to read a few verses down. Further. Beginning with verse 46, Luke 6 verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Let's see the progression there. It's, it's essential that those three are true. He's talking about a person who comes, who, who comes to him and he hears his words and he goes on to say and does them. 
I will show you what this person is like. What is he like? Well, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it. Why? Because it had been well built. That's what that person is. Their foundation is sure. During trials, during blessings, it doesn't matter what season they are in. Even when God gives them so much, even when God takes things away from them, whatever their circumstances, their foundation is solid. Why? They have gone to the Lord. They have heard his word. They are doers of his word. But then there is the second year. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Confession must not just be verbal, brothers and sisters and friends. So I ask you this morning, are you a Christian? I hope at this time, you, with, with my argument in the introduction, you can't just stand up and give any answer. I hope you, you would have to think twice. Are you a Christian? Do you remember a time, you don't have to remember the date, or it's easy to forget, but do you remember an experience where you turned to the Lord? And as we will notice in the, in the contradiction, as that experience influenced your life, as that turning to the Lord influenced your life. So we go to the contradiction. So that's the confession. I'm a Christian. What's the contradiction? Back to our text, the 6b. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him, this is our confession, while we walk in darkness, who are we? We, we, we are liars. We lie and do not practice the truth. Christians do not walk in darkness. Again, I'm not here to scare you because right now you probably are tempering with sin and maybe you've even been tempted, you've given in and, uh, and, and, and you are struggling in your soul. Uh, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are just struggling with the whole thing whether you should continue. Like, I'm, I'm not here to, to scare you when I say you are not a Christian. That's not the person I'm, I'm here to scare. For you, the message is clear. If God is light, proclaim the message. Exemplify what, what that means. Repent of your sins and come. But, but I'm saying this so that you don't walk away of here just because of what you did yesterday or what you did this morning and you say, I'm walking in darkness. The, the, the person being warned here is a person who might claim to be a Christian and yet their life speaks of no change at all. Christians don't walk in darkness. Why? Darkness is their former way of life. That's how they used to live. That's who they used to be. That's why I tell people, if you don't have history... You are not a Christian. 
There is no Christian without history, without the past. Whether you got saved yesterday, at least in, in your mindset already you have transitioned. Ephesians, turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 5 speaks to that. Being in the life of this church, I know some of you are visiting, but uh, being in the life of this church, I can speak with confidence that you are, you are well uh, taught concerning uh, the letters of the Apostle Paul and Ephesians in particular. And you know, for instance, that the first three chapters of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is unleashing doctrine, he's teaching us, he's telling us who we are, what has happened to us, and uh, uh, what we have become. So if you like, it's doctrine, it's teaching, it's teaching. And then when he comes to chapter 4, he changes gears. He says, now as a result of who you are, as a result of what I have just shown you, here is how you must live. And that's what you know about Christians. For example, uh, you can stay in chapter 5. I'll join you in a moment. If you go back to chapter 4, the very first phrase there, you have the conjunctive ad ad adverb. Therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord urge you, listen, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Were you called by God? What testimony did you give during your baptism class or during the joining of membership? What, what testimony did Pastor Svare read out here? Did it suggest there was a time when you were called? Live worthy of your calling. And what is that calling? Immediate context here with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This is your past life. Chapter 5 and verse 1, another therefore, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must, must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints. What's the idea there? Don't create a rumor because of your carelessness. Don't create a rumor that you are sleeping around with men or women because you are careless. Don't let it even be named among you. That's what's proper for those who are Christians. Verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. God is light. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Darkness is their former way of life. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. In fact, I must read uh, the verse in, in chapter 1 here so that we keep the context. Verse 13, here is the therefore. The therefore to those who in chapter 1 verse 1 are elect exiles. Those who are strangers in this world, they don't belong here. That's how he describes them. They don't belong here. They are just passing through. This is not their home and so they don't sit, they are squatting. 
these kind of individuals, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Verse 14, as obedient children, not when you are obedient or if it happens that you are obedient, it's assumed. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Then you come to chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Just listen to the wording here. Listen to the choice of words by Peter. Royal priesthood. I know this country has, has known some some, some children of presidents who were a total mess, contrary to what is the expectation. You are from the palace. You, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are from the king's house. You, are, you, are, you, you, be, you belong to a royal family. You live as one. Just notice the choice of word. A holy nation. Remember again the definition for holiness. In fact, Peter here helps us. Because when he says, as he who called you is holy, be holy, he goes all the way back to Leviticus chapter 11 to quote from there this idea of holiness. And it's interesting, if you go to Leviticus chapter 11, it's just about animals. Animals, the, the children of Israel must eat and not eat eat this, don't eat this, eat this bird, don't eat this bird. Verse 44 and 45, Therefore, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What does holiness mean in that context? If it doesn't mean the same way God is separated from sin, the same way God is set apart from sin, you too be set apart. That's the idea here. We are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. What's the consequence of belonging to him? Answer, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you. Darkness is our former way of life. And so as I close here, what does this mean? It is a contradiction, my brothers and sisters and friends. When you claim to be a Christian, and yet your life, your way of life, I must emphasize, your way of life speaks of anger, sexual immorality, dead pictures on our phones, overeating. All these are works of darkness and a contradiction to the way of light. I could, have, I could have said many more. And that's why in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. He contrasts to the works of the flesh, and then he talks about the works of righteousness or the fruit of the Spirit in, in, in other languages. But I say, verse, chapter 5 verse 16, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But, Brother Francis, I, I have followed you. Is there, is there a simple way you could just narrow this down for me so that I walk away from here, go do the right thing because it's clear? Well, I'm not a fan of checklists, but here is a checklist. How are you living your life? Now, the works of the flesh are evident. If this is you, then you know what to do after the service or even now. Confess your sins and, 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 and repent. Repent of your sins and Jesus will forgive you. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry of whatever form, whether it's idolizing your wife or your husband or your child, that cute baby that Dr. Vodi calls a viper in a diapers, you, you say, sweetie, sweet little one, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, the idea there, those who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's the contrast? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Holiness, a life set apart from sin, is evidence that you are a Christian. Maybe you are saying, I'm not holy. How can I become a Christian? Romans 10 verse 9, that if you confess your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Acts 2 verse 36, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord, Master, and Christ, the only means to heaven, the anointed one. Jesus Christ, Jesus is not the first name and Christ the surname. Christ, the, the, literal, the literal rendering of that is Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. The only name by which we are given for men to be saved. Luke 6.46, don't call him Lord if you are not willing to do what he says. Amen.